does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Was born in a small town. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. It's Dane Fife. will be your lead singer throughout the afternoon. Eddie Garrison on drums. Don lived in guitar. a small town. Is that too loud? <laughs> Sorry, Don. Boys of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, nice enough to join us. Uh, Don, what do you enjoy more? The, uh, the the solo there by Dane Fife or uh, the way things rolled around on a <laughs> Sunday night for our Hoosiers? It's a combo platter. (laughs) (laughs) That was born in a small town. Don lived in a small town. I did. I did. I lived in a pretty small town. Don, one of my my favorite questions in general we've had you on since the years and I've been in the building is your observations of what you saw from the group, anything different, anything in general, whether it was warm-ups or it was leading up to it, anything that you thought they'd get out physical, out rebounded, out second chance. Any way you want to go with it against Miami going into that game on Sunday? Well, I was hopeful that we would not have our <laughs> our up and down performances that we've seen over the last month or so. Uh, I thought that was probably the most disappointing aspect of it is that this team hasn't been able to. Uh, they did put two wins together, uh, you know, uh, leading up to the Big Ten tournament or into the Big Ten tournament. Uh, after they won the final regular season game over Michigan, and then they won the first ball game in the Big Ten tournament. But then uh, they fell back again, uh, losing in that uh, semifinal to Penn State. Um, And so I was going into this NCAA tournament feeling like they'd had, you know, four or five days to catch their breath and kind of get ready for the next matchup with uh, Kent State. And they were solid in that performance. And then they come back a, a day and a half later and, and get beat uh, by a very good Miami team. No question about that. A team that had a lot of the tools that Indiana doesn't necessarily have. And so I was disappointed in that sense because I, I just think that this team is is a ball club that looked like they were tired and um just didn't have the energy level that you need to compete, uh, you know, uh, in two games in three days. And again, it boils down to what we saw during the season. Uh, this is such a grind in the Big Ten. Everybody knows that. Uh, you've got to have your legs if you're going to go into a tournament where you play every other day, and and even on a day by day basis like the Big Ten. And this team wasn't able to come back after a win. Uh, after a couple of days and and win again and so that just indicates to me that they were tired and and I think it just took it out of them and I think the rest of the Big Ten kind of feels the same way <laughs> except for my Spartans fish I know well give me a chance to finish <laughs> I know you're gonna interrupt me as best you can but I'm just, just telling you that that there's only one Big Ten team left after the first and second rounds of this tournament which has been going on now for the last three years. And what's been going on in that regard? 20 games of Big Ten play in a season. Hey, Fish, um, I know you've seen this story written before. I mean, my, two of my teams, I think we were one and done. We got beat by Pepperdine and we got beat by Kent State in the first round when I played. Mm-hmm. And um, you kind of alluded to it. Did you see the other night's game, Indiana against Miami, did you see that 
as a matchup issue going into the game? And then I guess ultimately, was it a matchup, a major matchup issue that, that aside from the tiredness, X's and O's standpoint, did you see it as a matchup problem? Yeah, because I don't think Indiana has the same kind of athletes, you know, that that, that uh, Miami has. They're a smaller team, very quick, very athletic, uh, obviously a, a group of guys that play well together. Um, the big guy inside for Miami is not a big guy. No. Second, he is big in a sense of 250, but at 6'7", he is a strong, well-packed 250 pounds that was just so energetic on the floor and with 17 rebounds to his credit in this ball game, it tells you that Indiana had to have other people rebounding because one of the problems Indiana had in this game is the straight line drives to the basket that were allowed so often. And then on top of that, then you're, you know, the uh, other bigs are coming in to help the guys that are supposed to be rebounding. They're out of position to rebound. Right. Yep. So, so when you look at it, uh, yeah, it was a matchup problem. There's no question because Miami was not a big team by any stretch of the imagination, and yet their athleticism and their quickness uh, and their ability to shoot the basketball from outside caused all kinds of problems. Don, what was going through your mind or what was going through the broadcast booth when they closed the first half the way they do and followed up with a nice open to start the second, roughly a 13-0 run in there between end of first half to start a second half? What was your thought there? And then were you were you caught off guard or surprised the way Miami punched back with a 16-2 run of their own to kind of put that out of reach? Uh, I, I wasn't surprised by it because, again, uh, and I get it, I think the fatigue factor fig- figures in, but I, I wasn't surprised that Indiana kind of closed the gap at halftime and were able to, to start out so well in the second half. And you kind of thought, man, they get this three-point lead all of a sudden, and you think they're back in it, they're, they're going to take control of this basketball game. But they just didn't have the juice, in my opinion, and – uh, like I said before, I think I think that's the biggest factor to me in watching the Big Ten and these ball games going forward uh, is the fact that that all these teams are going through that grinder that you have in Big Ten play, and I think it wears on them. I really do. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Fish, did you watch the Boilermakers? I did not watch hardly any of that ball game. I did see just a bit of it. Well, I... I going talking about the Big Ten. There's there's plenty of of thought that think along the lines that that you do of the fatigue. But what about the makeup of the league? I think what Michigan State's always done well. Tom Izzo talks about this all the time. Is he wants to play every year a team in each of the Power Five? We'll say Power Six. You know the other five leagues, the the power of the power six in basketball, and he does that because he wants to get a feel for how different leagues play. And not only does he does that for the year at hand, but he does that to get a gauge into how to formulate his own roster. And do you kind of see my point on that? Yeah, I do. I do. I I I have always thought 
It does not. I mean, sure, it's going to hurt you if you go into a non-conference portion of your schedule and you get beat two or three or four times by lesser teams. But if you schedule those ball games so that you can learn about your basketball team and learn right. what you need to do, uh, I don't think that that because here's the thing. You have to beat your best when you go into the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, you have to be. Yep. If you're not at your best, you're not. You haven't got a chance to do that. You have to know exactly what you're going up against, right. and you never do once you go into the NCAA tournament unless you've done that or have some feel for it yep. based on what you've seen throughout the season. And that's what non-conference play is all about. Yep. So it's just smart. I know Thomas. You know Tom says I'm the dumbest guy in the world for no. scheduling this tough a schedule, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and he no. is on that from that aspect. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it looks great on the front end, fish, but on the back end, and you see those L's piled up. What the heck is he thinking? I know, but at the same time, where are you? Where do you want to be your best? <laughs> that's that's right, and and there fight. is a is a tough position to be in because you've got to do well in your conference in order even to make the NCAA tournament. But that exactly. stated, you build your team for March as well. That's right, and that and what's the ultimate goal? It's to win a national championship, and that's not to say that Michigan State's going to win a national championship this year. But they're the only team left with a chance at doing it. So <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, that's a great segue, Don. If you don't think Michigan State's going to win the national <laughs> championship, then who the heck do you think is? I think Florida Atlantic's going to win it. That a yes, baby. Yeah, Let's go. Go Owls. Hoot, hoot. <laughs> <laughs> Got to root for your buds. You know what That's I mean? Right. Absolutely. Dusty May is a bud, and I love him, and I've talked to him a couple times this year during the season, and we've texted uh, back and forth. You've and, talked to him, uh, Don, huh? You never talked to me. <laughs> you don't call me. It's usually me calling you. You're Jeez. not a coach anymore. <laughs> hey, that's oh. not true, fellas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell them. Don, uh, I'm sorry to have to correct you on this. I'm a but player coach you, of, uh, set of, up, of mine and Eddie's uh, beach volleyball team we just started about an hour ago. So he's still in the coaching ranks. We're good. We're good. We're in Speedos. We are not allowed to tan or spray tan. 50, 50 to 100 sunblock. Got a qualifier up in Indiana Beach later this yeah. month. We need a sponsor, Fish. Yep. You looking yep. to sponsor? Well, Dane, I, I might sponsor a team that it's coached by you if you are getting back into the business. You know how that goes. Hey, that's well, I'm in the uh, beach volley, men's beach volleyball business. Uh, Quite a career turn. Yeah, the, there's a vertical limit. You've got to be under five centimeters, your vertical. So it's a specific division for sure. Don Fisher, so voice. The... That, so you're saying that I could play? Yes, you could. Indeed. No, you're too tan. Fisher. Fisher's got like this permanent tan going, and he's got this Jack Nicholas golden blonde. Hair, the guy is just—he—he's model-esque. <laughs> just wish he'd show up when I ask him to play. There it is. God, <laughs> it. I have my bingo card go. ready to go. One of the great. Hey, you Here could sub go. your brother in. I played with Fish and his brother one year, and his brother smacked a hole in one. We were we were at um, French Lick. We were at the Pete Dye course. <laughs> that's true. His brother yeah, knocked in true. a hole in one. Man. Dave Fisher, the real Fisher. Yeah, the real Fisher, exactly. <laughs> Don, last question I had on my end. Trace Jackson Davis likely plays his last basketball game as a Hoosier. When you look back at his career, I'm not going to ask you to rank him, but what will you remember the most? What's your most fond memory of his tenure as an Indiana Hoosier? His senior year, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, he battled his guts out the entire season. He wanted to win. 
a Big Ten title. He wanted to win an NCAA championship, and he talked about it all year long. And I thought he became the leader that we all thought he was and could be. He became the best player on this basketball team. Uh, in my opinion, he, he just played tremendous basketball. He grew so much as a player through his first three years, and then that all consummated into his senior season, which I think that's what it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to go to college for four years and play basketball and become the best that you could be in that final season. And that, to me, is the most uh, – the thing that I'll remember most about Trace Jackson Davis was he got better every year in every way, not just as a player, but as a person. That's well stated, Fish. Uh, Post game, ride home. Um, what was the feeling coming home? Was it, it obviously not looking for anything juicy, but I, I just you know that the togetherness, that kind of wrapping up the season, the plane ride home. What was what was the um, kind of the, just the the aura the the feelings on the plane and bus rides and all those things uh post game well i you know i i really literally could walk back to the arena or to back our hotel after the ball game and i got back to to the hotel uh the myself and eric and and our our group uh got back to the hotel literally probably about 30 minutes about 45 minutes after the game because we had to wrap up everything. And I walked in in the lobby, and, of course, everybody's waiting to greet the team when they come back, and that took forever. I don't know why it took as long as it did. I know they have press conferences, all that kind of thing. But... I'm sure that Albany traffic was just a zoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but But it was – and it just took forever to get them back there. And then, of course, a lot of people just you know fade away after a certain amount of time because you wonder when they are going to come back. When they finally got back there, you could tell that the players, you know, were being, you know, cla- you know, was clapping and all that kind of stuff and that kind of thing. So I, to be honest with you, I couldn't tell what the mood was. I yeah. know the players were responding to family members and that yeah. kind of thing, which you would expect. We we literally had such a screwed up mess there because the plane that we were scheduled to take back after the game was canceled, and we learned of that ten minutes before the game ended, or mm. ten minutes before we got off the air that we were not going to go back home. So we had to come back. We had to deal with the, the you know, getting our uh, rooms back and all this kind of oh, thing. Man. It was just an absolute screwed up mess. And it wasn't because of anything IU did. It was because right. of the plane situation furnished right. by the NCAA. Yeah. So at any rate, I didn't get a real feel that night for all of it. Uh, the next day, uh, you know, it was just the typical uh, after a losing scenario that right. ends your season. You know, guys are disappointed. There's not a lot of slap happy stuff going on, no. that kind of thing. But it wasn't as dour as you might expect yeah. either, because you had a few hours to get over it and all that kind of thing. But I don't. Th- I think the mood right now at Indiana and with the fan base and everybody else is about what's going to happen next year yeah. because you're losing so many yeah. guys off this team and you don't know if you're going to get the guys back that you actually have coming back. So yeah. and, just, and that's my because, question is what what's next? I have my ideas yeah. but but what is next do you think? You got to fill you got 13 scholarships fish. Uh you know you lose and I'm not looking for anything too specific but you know you lose well you think you lose Trace, you know you lose Race, you know you lose Miller. You probably you, you probably lose Huchifino, and then let's just say you may lose one more in the portal, um, one or two more or five, who knows. But um, what's next? What do you see next for, for Indiana basketball? 
Well, I think the coaching staff has their work cut out for them because Mm -hmm. they've got only two recruits coming in, Ja'Kai Newton from Georgia uh, and a combo guard, and then Gabe Cups, who's the uh, point guard from Ohio that everybody's so high on. Those two kids are coming in as recruits as freshmen. There are no other freshmen that I know about that they're looking at. Right. Uh, therefore, they're going to have to go to the transfer portal. Yeah. And that, I think, is, in everybody's estimation, a very sketchy scenario because you're, you're going to have to replace the bigs in this team first. Yeah, right. Uh, right. I mean, you've got two bigs coming back. You've got uh, Malik Renu, uh, which I don't. I think he's definitely coming back, and I would assume at any rate. And then uh, Logan Duncan, who has been out most of the season, or a good portion of the season, with a sinus problem that had to have surgery, and obviously he had been dressed the last yeah. uh, what yeah. fifteen games of the season, whatever it's been. So, yeah. and if he comes back, which you know he hasn't played a lot, right? Two he years just doesn't have there, the experience. Know. Right, exactly. So he's going to be kind of like not a freshman necessarily, but the experience level is not there. I'd agree. They're going to be very young in the bigs, and you're going to have to get an experienced big, I would think, to come in just because somebody who's been through the wars at this point. um, So, again, I think the the coaching staff and the transfer portal are going to be very active here in the next several weeks uh, heading into next season because – this is when you're going to be able to get them, and that's when everybody's going to transfer. Right, and and the portal so. the the portal is important, and it and it plays a major factor. But as I told my my um, my coworkers here, the the porta the portal can become the portal John really quickly. <laughs> and one thing, the you know the Indiana Indiana is like the Ivy League from this aspect. In the Ivy League, they can't get certain players in based on you know test scores or or right they can't get certain players in indiana can't get certain players in based on you can't you can't be an idiot you know you can't have a sketchy past if you come to indiana you got to act right you got to do the right stuff by and large you're not going to get away with the stuff the coaching staff isn't going to get away with bringing in a sketchy player um never has never will and so um Indiana has to be even more selective in, in who they bring in. You want the best player, but the best player better have some character to him or he's going to get run out and the staff will get run out right behind him, which we've seen in, in years past. Right. There's no question that uh, that's why I say it's sketchy when you talk about the transfer portal because you got a guy, you have to have a guy that fits. He, he, he could be a great kid and not fit. So you've got to find the guy that fits what they're looking for, what they need. And what they need is, in my opinion, guys with a lot more athleticism. Do you have some on the roster? Absolutely. Craig Galloway is a terrific kid, a hard worker. Uh, He's going to be a great guy to start with your nucleus. If Xavier Johnson gets the appeal and he's able to come back, now you've got another guy that's a critical factor that could help you especially in that uh, guard position. You've got to get some bigger wings at this point. Uh, Caleb Banks is coming back, I would assume. And, again, I think he's a terrific talent. I just didn't think we saw anywhere near enough of him as the season went on. But that's, again, coaches' decisions and deciding yeah. you know, who they trust at that juncture of the, of the season right. and what that guy could do. Um, but, so they've got, some, they've got some kids there, but they're going to have to add to that mix. And then how does that mix take uh, shape in regard to chemistry and what the guy's able to do? So I, I, 
again, I think it's uh, there's a big question mark about Indiana basketball going into next season, and we'll see how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. Don, greatly appreciate you taking the time with us, uh, particularly uh, over the last couple of months. Always appreciate chatting with you. I wish you a, a very happy offseason of golf and relaxation, <laughs> and, and I, we look forward to talking to you in the fall, my friend. Oh, hey, well, as long I as I'm it. on here, Fish is coming on. I'm making him. He owes me. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, thank you so much for having me this year. I really appreciate it. And Dane, Hey, he's so, he was so scared to say any of our names the whole the whole interview. I, I, I could tell. Call you, I did not call you Doc one time. <laughs> he stuck the landing and he'll see you on the first tee. <laughs> oh, no, he won't. He's not playing with me. <laughs> thank you, Don. See you, Fish. Guys, thanks. See you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We do indeed have the Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4 making his weekly visit with us. Chappie, it's the first time we've talked to you since the Colts made a move for, in all likelihood, the veteran quarterback that will, at least in my mind, be under center Week one in Gardner Minshew, and they brought him in uh, with that signing coming finalized on Friday. Your reaction when that happened on Friday, and do you agree with that sentiment that regardless of which quarterback is taken, it's likely Minshew mania to begin week one of the 2023 campaign? Yeah, a lot of us have been speculating Minshew. I mean, it, it's it's never wrong to connect dots when you change a GM or change a head coach. And, you know, Steichen and Minshew have been together the last two years, and in Philly, and he's had decent success. It depends, you know. He, he's played well individually, and not so much success, team success in uh, Jacksonville. But yeah, I think considering what was out there, I mean, it was him or Marcus Mariota or what Bridgewater or somebody else. It made sense, and I thought whoever, whether they stayed at four, went to three, went to one when they could, they were still going to have to sign a, a veteran. And this guy made sense from the get-go, the money reasonable. So this is one a lot of us expected, and, and for a change, we were right. Chap, when you look at comments made yesterday by, I'm going away from the Colts for a second, by Panthers head coach Frank Reich, and there was some speculation, which everybody's kind of creating content, I get it around this time of year in the NFL, of what they're going to do. People cited the, the 49ers draft when they ended up taking Trey Lance, and there was, you know, concern or questions about who exactly they were going to draft and eventually they have their mindset on Trey Lance as their selection we look at the Panthers who ultimately were the team that whether you want to say jumped ahead of the Colts or not they wind up going for that first overall pick from the Bears something the Colts didn't do in your mind when you look at that roster is it a slam dunk they're going to go Stroud or Young or would it surprise you at all if they wind up really liking the billables or the growth potential of a Richardson or Levis I just, good question. I just think that they they don't move that far up, yeah, and say maybe we can get a project. Right, you can stay at nine and maybe get a project. You can go from nine to five and get that. I just don't think you do what they did. How bold they were, without you know being committed to getting the guy. And in my mind, knowing who it was, I think I saw the owner said, "Well, we have multiple choices." Well, sure you do, but but you moved. To, it would have been the same if the Colts had moved to one. He moved to one because there's a guy. There's there's one guy that separated himself in your mind, and that's why it's worth going up and getting him. 
you know, I saw where people were saying the Colts didn't do enough. We don't know what the Colts did. How, how, how serious were they? It's very, very possible that Chris Ballard and Steichen look at these four quarterbacks and say, yeah, okay, they're pretty good, but I'm not betting my future on it. Now, they, they may they may think that one of these guys is that good, but looking at what Carolina gave up, because they came so far from nine, I, I just don't see how the Colts could have matched or approached that. Would they have given up Michael Pittman? I, I know the the sentiment is if if you believe that quarterback is that guy, it doesn't matter what the cost is. I understand that and I agree to a point. But at the same time, if you're going to build around a young quarterback, don't gut your offense around him. They did that in 1990 with Jeff George, gave up Chris Sitton and Andre Rison and more. Now, it probably wouldn't have worked anyway back then. But they didn't help it. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think Carolina knows exactly what they're going to do. You don't do that without that. And the question now is, is the Colts stand four or do they try to go to three? Mike, I, I, take Steichen out of it, the, the hiring of Steichen, firing of, of Reich, and that, that the whole coach drama out of it. Is it still too soon? Uh, or what can the Colts fans, Colts Nation, people that root for the Colts – what, what can they hang their hat on right now to, to give them hope uh, as you look at the free agency market? You look at uh, all the, the talk, the talking heads around them, around the NFL. What, what can the Colts, what can Colts fans hang their hat on? I know what we can, as, we can do as Lions fans. We just continue to make moves. But right. when I look at the Colts, uh, and, I, and granted, I don't follow them as should, but I don't follow them as much as I do the Lions. What, what gives Colts fans hope? The fourth pick. I mean, all that they've done in free agency, and they've done some good moves. They really have. Now, they still need a a right guard, and now with Paris Campbell gone, they need a receiver. They probably needed a receiver anyway, but now even more so. But if they don't get quarterback right, what's the matter? I mean, anyone really expects Gardner Minshew to be your long-term quarterback? Well, no. Uh, So so the hope is that you're going to get – a guy, whether it's Richardson, whether it's Will Levis, and and the team and Ballard is convinced that this guy has the potential to take you somewhere over the next four to six years. You're not going to get Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or Mahomes at all. You're just not. This is Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. But you don't have, as much as you want that guy. They're so rare. Which is right. again that that's what complicates the the attitude around here is everybody sees these young vibrant quarterbacks in the AFC and they say hey we want one of those well right. you know it's, it's rare and then you've got to be in position when the time comes maybe maybe this is the absolute un- imperfect storm and the culture at four even if they want to go to one and they didn't believe these quarterbacks were that good. That would really suck, but <laughs> but, but, but if you, if if management can give the fans and the team a quarterback that you say you know in a year this guy's gonna be pretty good. Now, I think next year is gonna be tough sledding. I Minshew may be good enough to to, to, to keep him afloat in games, but but the, the, for the long term it's it's and I've said this from the start as much as I like Shane Steichen's hiring I do. 
if you don't get the quarterback right, it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't work long term. So hopefully there's a guy there at four or three if they want to move up that they can that 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 Ryan that that, that these guys can build their future on because if they get it wrong, a lot of guys won't be here in three years. Yeah. Uh, how often does the quarterback in waiting scenario work? Probably not very. Uh, it, it did for what well, did for Kansas City with Alex Smith, didn't yep. it? Yep. Uh, it did. Yeah, I can. It, it did. I tell you, it did back in the day with uh, Dante Culpepper in Minnesota. They brought Jeff George in, and, and as, as Jeff George's luck in his career, he had a really good year. And then they went to Culpepper. It works. It, it works. Uh, now, now, again, to say that it works, you're saying to be competitive. You know, I think it'd be crazy to think this team with Minshew would would be a challenger in the AFC South. I, I, I think they would be competitive. I really do. But the whole goal is to be competitive and not be three and whatever it is now. The new math fourteen and 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 then say, well, boy, in twenty twenty four, we're going to be pretty good. That that might turn the fan base off. But but be competitive. Maybe get the, the rookie quarterback some work. Maybe late in the season, you, you really kind of see what you've got. But but just get, get, give give the the fan base direction on where you're going, and don't talk about Lombardis. Just just don't talk about multiple Lombardis until you get this thing together and you see where you're going, and you've got a direction. They've got a plan. They've got a plan. But I think it'd be a better idea if they would share that plan with people. On, on what their expectations are, but get the quarterback in place and then give your team a chance. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4 taking some time with us here in the drivefeeper.com studio. Chap, as this conversation started, Ian Rappaport reports that former Bills wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie is going to sign with the Colts. I don't have billables on that. Uh, McKenzie, 15 games played last year, 65 targets, 42 catches, 423 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, I understand you're not, you haven't looked at anything on Isaiah McKenzie, I would think. So I'm just going to ask you that on the fly with a blanket stat line from him. Uh, you've been in the league since 2017. So obviously a veteran wide receiver. Does that make sense in terms of as you're trying to fill up the wide receiver room that's kind of empty right now outside of Michael or uh, Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce? Uh, any initial thoughts to that move? I like it. I mean, you, you want a veteran guy in there. Now they still may get a, a rookie in the second or a you know a draft pick in the second or third right. round, but you, you need you need people who've done it before. And prior to this, they had Pittman and Pierce and and a few other guys that have done a few things. Ashton Dunn. Ashton Doolin is a really a good a good guy, but he, he's like your fourth or fifth. He needs to be your fourth or fifth receiver. So so this is a good this is a good signing. He's not great, but but it gives him proven depth, which is which is the way Chris Ballard has built this roster. Is you know they don't go out and get to the, the great receiver certainly with money wise, but they, that they try to find in certain positions decent players who have done it and they're sort of on the upside. So th- this will be a good addition to the receiver room. Chap, how important is that depth across all positions for a team like Indianapolis, where even though there haven't been clear stated expectations publicly from the franchise of what this season's going to be, barring, like you said, lightning in a bottle striking and them giving early reins to a quarterback and, and it goes the 
the way of Lady Luck that's happened with so many other franchises in the AFC where, holy cow, this guy's an all-star. This guy's a superstar. We're, we're all set. Barring that happening, what does that type of depth in general, not just wide receiver room, but across the board, do for a team with kind of middle of the road slash we want to get year over year better next year expectations for this franchise? Well, this seems uh, Ballard's always been, to me, intent on making sure this roster is set on top to bottom. You know, that the guys from 45 to 53, if they have to, can play and, and there's not a big drop-off. And he's done a good job. But, I mean, look, look at Zaire Franklin, a yeah. seventh-round pick, gets a second contract, and EJ Speed and all these guys. And you need those guys. But but the league is, is more about the five or six difference makers, yeah. whether it's the, it's the quarterback, obviously, pass rusher, and, and the, the, the receiver that just keeps – you know, defensive coordinators awake at night, so they, they've got to find a way to kind of kind of tap into both. I think they've. I think in the last several years, top to bottom, the roster has been pretty good. You know, now if you get a bunch of injuries at one spot, whether it's receiver or, or tackle, well, you can only have so many who 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 could who have who've played and can and can do it. But but just don't have any glaring weaknesses right now. They're really thin at corner. You know, safety, they could use help. But but you, you try to have as many guys, the, the, the mid-level players. Role uh, players, role players. Yeah, role players, yes, yes. And maybe, maybe you put Minshew in, in, in that group as well. But, boy, the league's about difference makers. It's just about guys, the Stefan Diggs and Jeffersons and, and guys like that. And, and they've got one with Jonathan Taylor, although keep in mind, this guy led the league in rushing two years ago with 1,800 yards, franchise record, and he didn't make the playoffs. Mm. So, so it's it's as many skill players as you can get, receivers, and but but it it starts at the quarterback, and he makes everything possible. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mike Chappell joining us at Fox 9 and CBS 4. Chappie, as you look at the continued swirling rumor mill, we asked this question throughout the week already, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well, since obviously we have this weekly conversation with you. Uh, speculation, potentially, the Colts might dip their toe into the water on that Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. You and I have been pretty clear of where we're at with that. If it was one or the other, price or picks, maybe you could see it. Maybe if the team was in a better situation uh, from top to bottom or where they are to win now, you could see it. Uh, are you hearing any of that same smoke, or is it just uh, one of the pitfalls, again, of what happens between now and a month's time for the draft? Rumors are going to be swirling over the place. Yeah, I think it's just that you, you hear a lot of things because you hear a lot of things. And I've got to believe that at some point these guys sat there and said, what do you think? You know, is this something we can do? And I, I would think they came to the conclusion that no. You know, it, a lot of times, when whether it's a franchise tag or restricted free agents, what teams are reluctant to do is, is, is negotiate because a lot of times you're just negotiating for the original team. I have a hard, I have a real hard time believing Baltimore lets this guy go. I just do. Then, then they're kind of where the Colts are. When you get a guy, you do what you can to keep him. But I don't mind the draft picks that much because you know there was talk about the Colts giving up two ones to go up to one. 
with Chicago. Yeah. But but the the, the two hundred and some million guaranteed. Boy, it should, first I'm not sure that a small market market team like this can afford that. And it it will. Re, you can do a lot of things with a cap. You can make things work. But that really does restrict you. And if you can find the rookie who is, well, if I say good enough, it sounds like it's a low bar, but 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 can be good good enough, can, can make you competitive and provide hope and all that. Four years on a rookie deal is the things you can do for your roster is pretty immense. Now, Mike, tell me if you agree with this or not. If the Colts take Lamar Jackson or or sign Lamar Jackson, it changes the whole dynamic in terms of public perception, fan perception, that the expectation would be then to win right away as sure. opposed to – and the same goes for if the Colts were to trade number trade up for number one, that public perception, again, like the Lamar Jackson situation, would change the dynamic as turning into win right away as opposed to what they've done is stayed at number four and you bring in a QB like a Richardson or a Levis uh, supplemented by Minshew and you keep the public you keep the the public perception Grim Reaper off your back which the dynamic is well we're gonna build this thing we're in a building situation as opposed to a win right away situation I, I, I think the ex- expectations will be a little different w- from Lamar Jackson and the number one pick. I still, I still think there would have been, uh, well, maybe something this year, but really something next year, because I don't know that anyone expects Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud to come in and just be the guy right from the get go and out of the gate. I, you know, very few quarterbacks do that. So I still think there would have been s- somewhat tempered optimism, but it would have been more. Lamar Jackson is different. You don't you don't do that move and say you know in a couple of years we're, we're going to be pretty good. No, you you've, right. you've really pushed everything in. Yeah. So I, I, again, it's it is different. Ma- yeah. Massive expectations with Jackson, less w- w- with the number one, less massive, and less with the four. But yeah. still, number one would have brought some optimism. Yeah. More optimism. It's funny. It's like you said. You kind of alluded to it earlier. It's really hard to find a franchise type QB that's going to stay that's uh, the Patrick Mahomes mold or the Tom Brady or the Peyton Manning yeah Indiana's dealing Indiana basketball's dealing with that with Bob Knight you know and I'm sure Duke basketball will go through it with the Coach K growing pains and when Tom Izzo retires the same thing it's it's a tough scenario to be in for the Colts because Peyton ain't coming back well and they set such a high bar yeah that I remember all through Manning's career and they were going 12 and 4, 13 and 3, a couple of 14 and 2s. And, you know, he's throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns. And people are saying, is that all you got? Well, that, that's great. That's great. And that's, you know, and Peyton said one time, you know, 12 and 4, that's not usual. That That's not the way the league is. So, right. so they do set a high bar. And yeah. Andrew Luck sort of walked into that and sort of met it for a while. And then the injuries piled up. But boy, when when and I tell you, expectations should be high. Yeah, you should, should expect something. You, yep. If not, what are you doing? Right. So whether it's the, whether it's the Colts of Pacers or IU chasing, you know, I, I would think uh, getting out of my lane. I would think that what IU did this year wasn't good enough. I mean, it, it, what Purdue did wasn't good enough. Yeah, they had a great yep. season, but 
you're still judged on postseason and you know the the one and done is just brutal. I yeah. watching I use women last night. Oh, it's that's awful, just wasn't it? And I, I watched Stanford the night before, and they get beat as a once. It's, it's just brutal. But that's 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 when you really cut to the chase. That's what it's about. You know, be great and be one of those teams that every year chases and you chase, and before you know what you get there, but you have to keep chasing them. Chap, Dana mentioned yesterday the importance of getting the right veteran quarterback in here and, and whoever that veteran is. Obviously, we know now it's Minshew, but them having the right mindset and the right mentality for the role, not having too big of an ego, not having too much of a, a chip necessarily on their shoulder that's affecting the overall team goal, the team process. I felt like that based on what he wanted, that you got that out of Minshew's first comments to the media after the signing took place, talking about how he's not assuming anything, he's ready to work hard, wants to have fun, but emphasized that team aspect of it. Did you have a similar takeaway in that regard of him being the right fit, not just as a player, but the way he's going to accept whatever this role is? Yeah, I think that people kind of expected a more bombastic Minshew when we talked to him, and and cause, because that's sort of been his right. reputation, yep. and we didn't get that, which is good. You don't come in here beating your chest. It's just it's not smart. You know, let things settle down. And and right now, he probably doesn't know what his role is. Well, of, of course, it's going to be to be the bridge to whoever the quarterback, yeah. the, the next guy is. But just sort of settle in, and and I, I think that's the way to do, as opposed to bringing all the attention to yourself. And there've been a few guys that have signed elsewhere across the league that they, they make more noise. But I, I thought he handled it the right way. And it's just about coming in, keeping your head – with where this franchise is, keep your head down, do the work, and I guess don't bring attention to yourself individually because right now it's not about you. It's about what this franchise can do as a, as a collective group to get back to where they need to be because right now they are not where they need to be. Yeah, and Chap, that's the problem we're having with Jimmy right now is he started the Minshew mustache mania going. I think Jimmy's getting a little big for his britches here in the studio. I know Eddie's been struggling with it a little bit. What is that mustache like up close and personal? Have you seen it yet? And I'm talking Minshew's. No, we just had him Zoom. Okay. So no. Okay. Did, did he... so, I, I, this, is, this is when you like, really like you look forward to the off-season workouts when you can see these guys and See you the know, mustaches, and, yeah. and, and, and you're at, yeah, you, yeah, you can see the mustache, and you really talk to the guy at the yeah. locker. Yep. One of the biggest regrets is because of COVID, we never one time had a face to face with Philip Rivers in person. Yeah, and that's one of the in biggest person. things for me is the body language. You know, right. unless you're getting a full frontal zoom, but you don't right. get that. You know, the body language for me, you can tell a lot about a person, and you make that. That's a great point, Mike. Yeah, because again, it's it's just different when you can stand in the locker and you know the, the horde is around him and, and then they leave and then the, you know guys that are there all the time we kind of stand around and just like, like people from San Diego used to tell us he would stand there for like twenty minutes and talk. Yeah, and that's what you yeah. want. That's what you want. You want information yeah. and what makes them tick and what are they thinking. Yeah. And too often with the way things are now at that. It's that drive-by interview that right. you just don't get much meat on no. the bone. And you can get a couple things off the record. You can shoot no the beep, question. and uh, that's where you get a lot of the beef of, of what you need to do your job. No question. It, it, it's all about what can you get that that, that, that he may not say with the cameras right. going, and, yep. and that, that's the kind of stuff you want. Yep. 
Chap, last question on my end. The running joke around town over the last year or two has been all the losing that's gone on amongst a number of different franchises. Everybody's worn that hat at some point or another. You look at a stretch of Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson, second team ever to lose to a 16. Look at IU underperforming against Miami, and then IU getting their heart broken against Miami. Uh, it, it, does that take the uh, take the cake, so to speak, in terms of this stretch for Indiana sports? Yeah, pe- people sometimes indicate that sports is is blown up too much and we make too much out of it. But on the flip side, when you're winning, it's just – different it, yeah. it, there's a there's a different vibe and when you lose that's why it, it's fun to watch what the Pacers are doing because they're fun to watch and they're right there on the cusp of the whatever the hell the play-in yeah. thing is but you see something there but when you're losing and, and I, that's why I thought after IU lost Kamari with the men that the women would kind of sort of pick us back up yeah. yeah yeah and it didn't happen and it's just different in the community Totally we found that around Beach Grove last year when, when they won the state. Yeah. It's just different. It, it's, there's a, there's a, a more of a you know a bounce in your step, and, and when you lose, it's just not the same. Well, hey, Chap, the, the one thing that you can hang your hat on now is there's a men's beach volleyball team that's just been forwarded. It's a three-man team. I'm a player coach, and we are looking for a sponsor for the back of Jimmy Speedo. But uh, it's going to be Indianapolis-based and uh, another another sport, another team, another Indiana local-based team that you can hang your hat on. Well, there, we, we've got a nice yeah, – here in Beach Grove, we've got a nice, you know, beach uh, sand volleyball court. So you guys can come down here and work out. And a practice facility. We are outside. looking for a Look practice for some place to work out, um, stretch. Um, we go. do yoga. We like to do yoga in the morning in the sun. Um that's it, a good idea. We'll have to get a hold of the people in Beach Grove that uh, help us with a practice facility, Jimmy. Uh, uh, we're always here to help. <laughs> Appreciate that, chap. We'll talk to you next week. Jimmy and a Speedo coming right up. Man, no one needs that. That is hot. No one needs that in their life. I'm Dean White Chapel, Fox 9, and CBS 4. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us now is Indiana legend himself, Landon Turner. Nice enough to take some time with us. Landon, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great, Jimmy. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Better now that I'm here for LT. You. LT. <laughs> you, over there with, you over there with my boy Dane. That's What's right, up, baby. Dane? What up, LT? <laughs> man, I do have to. I do have to uh, say something to you all, man. Uh, I don't really like watching guys with speedos on. <laughs> uh, and I would suggest, unless you are making co-ed, <laughs> that will be a lot better for me. But. I mean, you might as well go with the crave right now. Let's do some pickleball or something. <laughs> that's what I that's what I said off the top, LT, ah. was that I thought pickleball be better, particularly from my overall morale and my pride would be better, too. Yeah, you don't want to be out there with no speedos no. doing all your stuff, no. man. LT, no. that's where the money's at, man. I got <laughs> I got my money makers. <laughs> it's my money maker. I don't know. I don't know, man. I pickleball just keep getting lots is, of requests. Up there. We could, I could use an assistant, by the way, LT. I am the man, I'm, head ready, co- I'm ready to help you, Dane, in any way you you want me, man. You the man, baby. Okay, you're, you're my boy. Assistant. You know that. You're just, my brother for, forever. That's right. Same here, LT. Same here. LT used to come to our practices, man. He'd give us talks, and a lot of times, LT, and and you know this, I think, he'd keep our spirits up. 
uh, we weren't always that good when we played. We we were one and done at least two 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 of my years LT. But LT'd come and pick us up, man. He'd crack on Coach Knight, crack on us, <laughs> crack on himself. But uh, well, I had to crack on Coach yeah. Knight because he was always cracking on me. That's man. true. I had, to, I had to come back somehow, man. You know. LT, that would be a great roast still to have you and Coach Knight together. But uh, LT, how's your bracket shaking up? My brackets are all messed up, man. You know, (laughs) know, my my heart, I did my bracket with my heart instead of my mind. Yeah. So I had had Indiana, of course, in the Final Four. Yeah. And of course, I had them winning, which I kind of, you know, I didn't think they could really win it, but. I was hopeful. I yeah. was hopeful. Yeah. But I had Alabama in there. I still got Alabama in there. Alabama's I think, alive. I think they look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, they're still alive. And um, I can't really remember who else I got well, in there. You got the Texas Houston matchup. You've got the. Uh, well, I think Houston will win that. Yeah. Oh, I think Texas will beat Xavier, and I think Houston will beat Miami. You've got Arkansas-UConn and then Gonzaga and UCLA. So let's say uh, who, who's going to win Arkansas-UConn? Gonzaga in the Final Four. Okay. You got the Zags. You got Drew, Timmy. The redemption story. LT, 1981 National Champions. Yes, sir. Do, do any of these teams hold a candle to the 1981 National Champions? Oh, man, I think uh, at, this, at this particular time, I think we still have the record of – the most points we beat our, our opponents by. I think we averaged like 23 points over our opponents. Throughout the tournament. I think that's still a record. Yeah, in the tournament. I think that's still a record. Jeez. Um, I think, you know, with a guard like Isaiah, I mean, I, I, I mean, our guards were just awesome. Randy and Isaiah, I mean, I think they're the two of the best in history, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. they were awesome, man. So I'm thinking – and then Ray and, and Ted. Give yourself Ted. a little credit, LT. I, I that game, just watching those games, man, man. Give yourself well, you know a little what? credit. You know what? I, I, and I need to. I need to get some reparations for. Uh, I'm the one. I'm the one that really kind of brought back the the jump hook. Yep. Did you really? Not everyone is shooting a jump hook. L- LT. LT. No one was shooting it when I was when I was playing. LT deserves at least some credit, and in the credit of dollar signs, I'd agree with that. There's not a lot that I don't disagree with when LT speaks. Because uh, because I, I can't remember if it was in the LSU game or the North Carolina game, Al McGuire was the announcer, and I shot a jump hook, and I think it was on Sam Perkins. I shot a, and, and Al McGuire said, I haven't seen that shot since George Mikey. <laughs> now, how far back is George Mikey? I, I think he was the fifties. <laughs> yes, it was in the fifties. So, but but now but now when I when I watch, I mean everybody, everybody. Is shooting the jump hook. Everybody. And I remember when I went back after I got hurt, I went I went to some practices, and and I heard Coach Day, uh, Gene Davis. He was like, I think he was telling Uve. He was like, shoot a jump hook, shoot a jump hook. I was like, damn! They never, they never told me to shoot oh, a jump hook. It was just something that I just automatically that, that's did. That's right. They didn't need to. They didn't need. They to. wanted me to. You know, Coach was trying to teach me to shoot a, uh, a hook shot like Ken Benson, like more of a sky hook. And I, to me, I felt that the jump hook was a lot quicker and a lot faster, and I can get it off faster without someone blocking my shot. Then the yeah, 
I would agree with that. I could see that. LT, what yeah. were your thoughts on the Hoosiers this weekend? I had hope, but I, but I was they were too roller coastery for me. Yeah. I mean, they they I mean they play a great game, and then the next game it seemed like they just didn't have the same intensity. Yeah, and I, and I didn't know what was going on with that, especially near the end of the Big Ten season. I yeah. was like, this is the time where you're supposed to jail Peak, because yeah. you're going into the tournament, and this is when you're supposed to be playing your best ball ever at the end of the Big Ten season. And then, you know, especially going into the second Big Ten, you know, season, I was like, I, I was hoping that they, you know, would jail and, and play that great basketball like they did a few times. Especially I mean, against they, Purdue. Uh, oh, man. They looked awesome against Purdue. I was so happy because the three years I played, we never, I never won at Purdue. Wow. I mean, but they never won in, in, in Assembly the Hall either. Yeah. But um, it, I was, we, I was so proud of them beating Purdue. I was like, yeah, we are on our way. Yeah. And I thought that we would do some great things in the yeah. tournament, but unfortunately, we had one of those. Yeah. Going down the roller coaster. Yeah. Times. Don Fisher was on with us earlier, and Fish said he thought they looked really tired. And come on, come on, man! You, I mean, the teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> tired. Yeah, some of them are twenty-five. Where, 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 where you, where you going to the Frangie Pangy room every night? I mean, what was it? Why are you tired? That sounds like a, a room that George Mikan used to rent <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you never been to the Frangie Pangy room? I don't think U- so. In the Union Hall. I don't think so, LT. We had yeah because when when I was in school, a lot of the frat fraternities and sororities would have a lot of their parties at the Frangie. Oh, Frangie okay. Room, I think most which, of them which had in the student union I building. They had them at the hyper when I was. If they had big parties, they had them at the hyper. Yeah, they just cleared the gym out. Wow, Landon, so what, we were, what, were, what were your overall just takeaways of the growth development of of Trace Jackson Davis as, as a four year player in Indiana? I thought he was tremendous. I mean, he he took he, he took it the leadership. He showed everybody this is how you need to come to play every every game. Yep. I mean, he was on the boards, something that I love to do. He was he was going to the basket. I mean, see, I was the kind of guy. I was more of an inside out guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, eighteen in, I, I will bust you. You know, I mean, my jumper, <laughs> my jumper was wet. But see, I used to use that as a mentality against with the defense. The defense, you know, they would lay back to get. I would go. I would drive them, and then I would pull up the jumper. Bam! So then when they say, "Oh, he got a nice jumper," they would come up on me to stop yeah. me, my jumper that I would drive. But Trace, he didn't have that mentality. He said, "I'm going to drive, and you're not going to stop me." And they didn't stop it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which was, which was incredible. Yeah, that's right. And uh, but but the guy, I mean, he, I mean, defensively, as far as blocking shots and helping out, I mean, he was he was awesome doing that. I mean, his passing game uh, got a lot better. Where they come and double him, and he would throw it to the to the guys in the corner for the three point. I mean, all of that improved. He improves tremendously. And I think he's going to do very well in, in the, on the next level. I do too, LT. One of my arguments is, and, and we both know kind of where Trey stands in terms of his skill set and ability, having been around him, but listening to people talk while well, he, he needs to develop a jumper, he can't shoot. My, my statement is, how do you know? You know, 
He hasn't shot. Woody, so how Woody do you? Told me he, Woody told me he that he that he could shoot a jumper. He can. That's my. But but yeah. he doesn't. And that's my point to people. Why would you do that? And you just alluded to the point. Why would you do that? You can drive and nobody can stop you, and nobody stops you. You know, do what I you mean, do. Great. I mean, look at the percentages. Isn't right. it, isn't it better to shoot a layup and or a dunk than a? 15, 20 footer. That's exactly right. Nobody stops. And I mean, they could not stop him, you know, but it's one thing about when, but when they did uh, double him and he would pass it out to the three pointers, those guys got to knock it down. That's right. That's right. And unfortunately, a lot of times they did not like it. No. I mean, man, I wish that Cook Hall was there when I was playing. (laughs) I shot shot 56% from the field. And I mean, that's shooting jumpers inside, jump hooks, and all that kind of stuff. If I had the chance to go to a cook hall, like whenever I was bored or whatever, and look up the gun and work, on my, and work on my jumper, man, I would have been shooting like sixty five percent. And that's with a wet J, right? And my J was wet, man. <laughs> <laughs> What'd I mean, you think of the boilers? What'd you think of the boilers, LT? The boilers were very upsetting. I mean. You're one seed, and then you then you go in the first game and get yeah. put out. I mean, come on, did man! You, did you see? Did you get a chance to watch some of it? Most of it? I mean, I, I mean, I have a, on my TV where I can put okay. four squares. Yeah, so, so I had CBS, TBS. I had all of yep. them. All, so I was watching everything. So bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. A little so, disappointing, yeah. but you know, as much of I was at the game, LT. I was at the game watching the Boilers, and uh, I was embedded with the Spartans. They they invited me to come over, and uh, I was at the. I I love Tom. Yep, yeah. So I was at the Purdue game, and you could just feel the the tension. And I said this yesterday on the show. You could feel the tension in the building. And honest to God, LT, uh, I felt bad. They, I felt bad for Purdue. Fletcher Lawyer is a kid from my town. They're they're freshmen. Uh, right. He's a kid from my hometown, and I and I know his family very well. To be honest with you, I was I was rooting for Purdue. I do root for Purdue. I like Painter. I like their play. I just felt bad because um, I could feel the tension, but they the matchup was just such a problem for them. I mean, you think about your teams. Um, when you played, there were just certain teams that it just wasn't a great matchup uh, for you guys. But uh, I honestly felt bad but, for but Purdue. That, but that's when coaching comes in. Yeah, I know. I know. You need you need to you need to make adjustments. I mean, yeah. that's one thing about you. When you were coaching, I mean, you made great adjustments. I mean, that that's what a coach is supposed to do because there's not going to be it's not going to be even every time you play someone. Yep. You're going to have to make adjustments. If one guy, like I mean, if one guy is smaller and quicker, or whatever, that's where adjustments come in. And I mean, sometimes I, I mean, I was kind of thinking in my mind, these guys, these guys from Miami are way quicker than a lot of our guys. So I, I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe we need to go into a two-three or some kind of zone. You know, I, you know, because. And just force them to shoot those jump shots with a hand in their face or something. That was just my thoughts. I don't know if you would have made that adjustment, right, or not. But I mean, I don't want to call anybody out, but I, somebody could not play any D. It was <laughs> no. Every time I looked up, and that's right. That's right. That's uh, we've all D been in help? those scenarios. Yeah, 
I mean, you can't you can't have you know Trace to be there to help out and block you know block a shot when whenever the person go around your man or whatever. But then that leaves his man wide open to grab an offensive rebound and lay it back up a dunk. That's exactly right. They gave. I mean, it was a plus eighteen. I mean, Indiana lost plus eighteen. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Landon, last thing on my end, we got the Indiana High School basketball state finals this weekend at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Obviously, you played at Arsenal Tech. Your favorite memories from high school hoops there at Tech, and then just the importance of this state and at that level in particular uh, for the young student athletes, whether they are pursuing scholarships or they're just being a part of their communities representing them. Well, I believe, I mean, no. Now, my my greatest memory was winning probably was probably winning the uh, city tournament <clears throat> my junior year. We won the city. I mean, the city was real tough back then to win the city playing in Hinkle Fieldhouse. I always loved playing in Hinkle Fieldhouse, and but you know, but uh, you know, uh, my senior year we we lost in the semi state to uh, Muncie Central. That was heartbreaking. I thought that we had the team to to win the state, and to not win it uh, it, was, it was heartbreaking. And uh, but I think these guys should just go out and play their butts off because some, with some of these guys they may not be recruited, yeah. they may not go to uh, another college and play ball, so they need to go out there and play their butts off and play as hard as they can, and and possibly put a W in their cap. You know that's what it's all about. It's all about winning because that is what it's all about winning. And I mean, you, you it's a whole lot of sacrifice has to be made to be able to get that W. I mean, there's summer, there's a summer you need to be working out. I mean, during, during practice, you need to be working your butt off. Like, like when I used to come to practice, Dane used to work his butt out. Dane didn't want anybody scoring on him. That's true. That LT. guy would play some defense on your butt. He didn't want you to score at all. I no matter who it is, his <laughs> teammate, opposition or whatever. That's, that was the mentality that everybody has to have. That's, that's a winning mentality. Tell them LT. Hey, man, you, you were the man. <laughs> you were the man. So oh, I'm man. just saying that, you know, these guys just need to go out there and play the hardest because, you know, I mean, that's what it's all about, winning. That's what it's all about. It's going to be a thrilling weekend at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Always fun to talk to you, LT. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Oh, LT, awesome. We got to do this man, again. I love you all. Anytime you want me on the show, just, just, just talk to my boy, D., you know, Dane Fife, and uh, I'll be I'll be here. That's my guy. Thanks, LT. All right, you all be cool. Have a nice show. Alex Golden. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nice enough to... Take some time with us. Alex, we kind of know the story to this point, but anytime you see a quote like from Coach Rick Carlisle that each ensuing quarter we played a little worse, that's <laughs> that's that's not not what you want uh, when you're trying to make a final push towards the uh, the play-in tournament. No, not at all. I mean, I was I was kind of surprised to see the Pacers blow that game last night, especially with how they started things off. It felt like this was going to be a slam dunk win, and Really just a, a really a bad loss. Maybe one of the worst losses of the season, if wow. not the worst, considering considering where they're at if they're trying to make the play-in because Chicago getting a, a win in double overtime against Philadelphia, a team that had won eight straight, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. And there's not a lot of time left, only 10 games left to try to 
make up about three games difference there. So it's a, it's a tough one there. Do you have a lean for what you want to see at this point? I know we're finally down to seven games now, and I've asked you that a couple of different times in the last couple of months of where you and I are at. I've said, and I, I know that this isn't the popular take among the franchise. That's not what they're working towards. I, I'd want more ping pong balls. Regrettably, we're running out of time for it really to matter. The increase of ping pong balls from one spot to the next with where they're at the final seven isn't that great. But then you still have the playing on the table, three back now of Chicago. As you look at this team, as you look at last night's performance, you look at the rest of the schedule, do you want to see that push? And are they capable of that type of push to close the year and maybe end on a positive note slash squeak into the playing game? This team all season long has played to the level of their competition. They can go in Milwaukee, you know, without Tyrese Halliburton and beat the Bucks by 20 points and then go to Charlotte and a team that's the, one of the worst teams in the NBA and, and lose that game. So I think this team is capable of, you know, turning it on, I guess you could say, but they've just been too inconsistent to really say that you trust them to do it. So I understand what you're saying with the ping pong balls, and I agree. I think that is what's best for the franchise moving forward. I've been pretty strong in that stance, and I think coming into the season, everybody felt that same way, probably even the organization themselves. But, you know, it's 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 never a bad thing for young players to get even just a play-in game experience. But I think next year we'll probably see them in the play-in at minimum. I think they have a chance to make the playoffs next year just because I like their roster and I like the flexibility they have moving forward. But for the rest of the season, I think that it's, it's a tough schedule. Uh, I think they have three more uh, games on the road on this road trip than they're back home. But their competition's not getting any easier. So, uh, I think that if you look at the rest of their schedule, they're probably only pre- predicted to win one game, and that's probably the last home game of the year against Detroit. So it's going to be hard for them to, to really get enough wins to get into the play-in. Alex, I want to I want to fast forward a little bit to the brink of the looming or upcoming season next year, and let's because uh, I'm not sure when I'll be back on here, if ever. I know that uh, Jimmy and I have been butting heads and Eddie's uh, feeling a bit uh, uncomfortable with me around. But what, my question is this. When, when you're at the, the onset of next season, looking back, things to avoid, pitfalls to avoid, maybe aside from injuries, but you can throw injuries in there. I look at things like uh, there was a little bit of Miles Turner, maybe a lot of Miles Turner drama. What things need to be avoided uh, if you could put yourself uh, in the future? You could be uh, a little uh, Doc Brown or a Marty McFly and put yourself in the future and kind of target the pitfalls that the Pacers went through this year. What things need to change uh, in order to have a better Pacer squad next year? Well, I think we got to start things off on the defensive side of things. This Pacers team has been a bad defensive team, uh, and Rick Carlisle is known for his defensive team, so that's one of the things that I know that he's emphasizing. He wants this team to get better at, and I think defensively they've just been bad. And I, and I know Miles has had a great year, but the rebounding from the team collectively has been pretty uh, pretty pathetic, I would say. You know, you, you'll have moments where, where they have good rebounding games, but – it just feels like they're not consistently good enough on the glass. So if you, if you allow the other team to get extra opportunities when you're already a bad defensive team, you know, you're not going to get a lot of victories. We know offensively this team is able to put points on the board. They've been doing it all year long. I think one thing that's going to help them defensively is getting 
getting a wing or two that's you know a starter level wing, not not a bench level guy that can play starters minutes when you're down two or three different players. But I think they need to solidify that starting small forward power forward position and, and really address it. I mean, I guess Neesmith has played good enough this year as maybe a a uh, small ball four that you maybe feel comfortable with him at the three moving forward, but you still need to address one of your four positions just because it, it's the lack of size. Yeah, you can you can make it work for a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, through an 82-game season, you can't play four guards in a center and expect to really be a competitive playoff team. Hey, don't tell that to, to some of these college teams, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to name yeah. squads, but there's a couple local ones. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Gold is saying the pace, taking some time with us. To kind of build off Dane's question, Alex, it, that's been known for a while throughout his coaching tenure that two of the biggest things that Rick Carlisle emphasizes are not only the way you operate underneath defensive principles, but your effort and the amount that you're willing to give on that side of the ball. We know he has the ability to coach up and get that out of players, but when you look at some of the injuries they've dealt with this season. You look at, in general, the different advanced metrics of this team, whether it's plus, minus, whatever you want to look at. Why is there a reason for optimism that adding even just one extra starting level forward or one extra piece <clears throat> Trace there, Jackson Davis. <clears throat> that, that, that overall the team would be able to to re-gel uh, and, and improve drastically in an area that has faulted them so far this year? Yeah, I think you have to start at the head of the snake, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, what he's done in year three of his NBA career, his first year being the point guard. I mean, he's an all-star. He's in the conversation. I think it's probably not so much now with all the injuries, but had he played 65-plus games, I think you can put him in the case for all-NBA team. I mean, that's how good of a player Tyrese Halliburton is, and that's how much he elevates this Pacers team because if you have a good point guard – that can create his own shot, but also get others involved. Not only is it going to make your going to make players want to come play in Indiana, and that's something that we haven't seen before. So, I think that's a big thing here. But you got to look at the rest of the roster. I mean, Miles Turner he's only 27 years old now, so I mean he's still in his prime. Benedict Mathern, his rookie year has been phenomenal, and I think people are kind of skipping on it a little bit because he's been injured. Maybe he hasn't had. The, the star-like numbers that some of these other rookies are starting to put up now, but we have such recency bias and overlooking what guys did early on because he's been pretty good all year. And then Andrew Nimhart, a guy like that, comes in real defensive-minded, pass-first point guard that can play off-ball as well. And I think what he's done defensively as a rookie is so impressive that he feels like a long-term piece with this four, and I think – you have some building blocks here to, to build off of, but you've already got your guy in Tyrese, and I think a lot of teams are missing that, but the Pacers have that. Now they just need to go out there and find more pieces to fill in some of the holes. And No, they're not a championship-level team by just making one move to get a starting power forward, but I think that they're heading in the right direction of becoming a playoff team again that could compete in a first round. Now we still want to see this team – get past that but i just feel like this is year two of the of the rebuild and it definitely feels like they're ahead of schedule so with with the way tyrese has played this year though it feels like the sky's the limit for what he can become just being i believe he's only 21 22 years old so that that's really exciting alex 
earlier today, Dane, rightfully so, and I'm right there with him going to bat for the NBA prospect ability of one Trace Jackson Davis. Assuming the Pacers keep all three, uh, would you be over the moon, happy, excited, indifferent if tread, he winds up in the blue and gold? Tread lightly, Alex. Yeah, tread Dane, very, Dane very well might jump through the phone. So just be, be careful on that. No, no I'm, I'm actually pretty high on Trace with my projections. I have him actually at like 22, 23, that a where baby. I have my, my big board. I think that Trace, he has improved so much since Mike Woodson got to IU, and you can just tell uh, the development from him, the passing ability out of the post. Uh, the one thing that I think with Rick Carlisle he would probably not like about Trace is zero three-point attempts all season long because Carlisle likes to fire the three. But, you know, we don't see anything like that from Isaiah Jackson. I just think that you need a good rebounder. I think Trace can do that. Trace is a really good rim protector as well. He's got a great feel for the game. His hands are massive. I think that he's going to be a, an impactful player wherever he's drafted. I just think that the Pacers, well, he could make some sense because there's a lot of things that I like about his game. I just I wonder if the, the lack of shooting is something that they, they look away from. And do they think he could play with Miles? I think there's maybe some potential there. But I just want to see I just want to see Trace go to a good good team wherever he's at and be able to be plugged in and play the right way and not kind of, you know, pigeonholed or forced into something that isn't going to maximize his talent. But I think the growth we saw from him from a freshman to a senior at IU, I mean, uh, you were there last year, Dane, watching it. I mean, you can just tell the work ethic that this kid has. He's he's going to be a special player, I think. I couldn't agree with you more. That's that's uh, You're one of the first people, or you're the first person I've really heard say that. That's And, and I know you're paying attention pretty closely, but – I just yeah. I, and and I still think his ceiling. He's got a ton of room to grow. Does Trace and I was arguing with somebody yesterday on Twitter. Uh, he said because uh, I compared him to a smaller Sabonis. Um, yep. <laughs> he said, but he can't shoot. And, and my question, and I said this. I said, how do you know? And well, I guess you make a good point. And and we were just talking to Landon Turner, former Hoosier great, who said, why would he shoot when he can drive it and nobody stops him? And, and my point to this, you know, you get him up in that level where he focuses on one thing. And if, if you want him to become a great shooter, I don't know that it'll be that, but he'll definitely be a serviceable shooter. I can vouch for that. He, he's 70% from the free throw line. And you get him to focus on one thing because that's what they do at the, the NBA level. They really narrow zero in on certain aspects based on what you're capable of. I think this guy, I really say this, this isn't just the uh, – I don't know if you call it a cliche, Jimmy, but the sky's the limit for this guy. His ceiling is not – he has not touched his ceiling yet. Yeah, Alex, to that end, how much would that change your evaluation if, to Dane's point, he's able to show a little bit of a mid-range game, a little bit of a, a catch-and-shoot, maybe not from, from a corner three, but just in general, show his ability with a jumper? What, what does that change in terms of what a team could be getting if he's able to add that or, or display that uh, at the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think that it could boost him up a little bit in terms of where he's drafted. I think that so many people are so focused on shooting and the fact that he's older. I think that sometimes we NBA people overlook all that stuff uh, and, and over overemphasize. Yeah, well, right. you know, he's not a freshman; he's a he's a senior, so we can't take him this early because he's too old. I mean, they made the no. same thing for Chris Duarte, and he came right in and helped the Pacers right away because good defender at Oregon and he's a good shooter and you can plug and play that person right away. Now I agree. He does have a lot of Sabonis like tendencies. I think he's probably a better defender than the Sabonis is, but probably not the same passer. 
and probably not the same screen setter uh, at, that, at that level because Demontis is pretty yeah. in, uh, pretty special at that. But you know, I think that with Trace and his work ethic, we've seen how much he's improved. If focusing on a shot is really all he has to do, I think there is a lot of uh, excitement with that. Now the right. Pacers recently had a guy uh, by the name of Terry Taylor that they let go of mm-hmm. uh, to make the Jordan Ward trade happen. And Terry Taylor was an undersized big at Austin PA that was just known for rebounding and a good feel for the game. I think you can kind of say Trace is a much better version of that. And that's not even a knock on Terry because I really like Terry's potential as, a, as an NBA player. But I just think that there's, there's something special about Trace when I watch him play. He just, you could tell it means a lot to him. He loves the game of basketball. And, you know, he carried this IU team. Yeah, he did. Getting, tri- getting triple teamed like he did half the time, being able to play through that, even even in the bad games when he had high turnovers and stuff like that. Uh, he The best thing about him, I will say, is he allowed Mike Woodson to, to coach him. Very coachable kid, and I think that is what will make him a great NBA prospect is just because he's willing to learn and he's – got the ability to get better yeah yeah it's funny uh when i was there um you know a couple people uh i don't i don't even name names it's just like well how, how did you get him i work for izzo so i learned how to have those kind of d- do the certain things to get kind of get guys moving a little bit and get get through to them and guys are like well how did how did you get him to do well I, I, I guess i just asked him to do it and he did it, but that speaks to your point that he's allowing himself to be coached. And that's what I told Izzo. I was with Michigan State this weekend up in, over in Columbus at the NCAA tournament, and he was asking about Trace. And I said, "Most coachable kid I've ever had the pleasure of coaching." Really, really. And I, I just, I continued to say that that uh, for whatever reason, um, he took coaching from me. And you mentioned he took coaching from the the head coach, and uh, he's he's gotten better. Uh, hey, so Alex, you got to talk to us. So, how is your NCAA bracket shaping up? Oh, it's it's. I still got my championship game alive. I got three of my final four, but uh, who are those? I've got Gonzaga, Houston, and Alabama. I got Houston winning it all against Alabama wow. in the championship. So. That, that's what I went with. Now, my Purdue bracket's pretty busted. I am not a Purdue fan, so I had them losing in the Sweet 16 to Duke. But, but Duke got beat by Tennessee, and then Marquette, they got out pretty early, too. So that, that yeah, uh, Remind us, who beat Marquette? Oh. I can't. Uh... Michigan State, that's right. <laughs> hey, look, if you're going to live in this state, if you want to maintain your happiness and sense of peacefulness, just be a Spartan fan. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Join me. No, oh man, no. I mean, I, Tom Izzo has a seven seed. I should have known better. But yeah. uh, I got I got Creighton in the Elite Eight. I, I really like what Creighton's done this year. Yeah, yeah. I got UConn versus Gonzaga. So I've still got about you're still alive, feeling good a lot. But it, I'm still just disappointed. I mean, I thought I had some big upsets. I thought Texas A&M might do something. They were a disappointment. So. You know, Iowa State, they disappointed as well. I just felt like the Big 12 disappointed me in the, in the picks I had with them this year. So, hey. can't trust the Big 12. Well, be glad you didn't stake your claim with the Big 10 because they're one of eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I had IU winning against uh, – I didn't have to beat Miami. I actually had Drake beat Miami. I didn't think IU would actually match up well against Miami, so I was hoping that we could avoid that matchup. But, 
Uh, so yeah, you got my, you, know, you get beat <laughs> because I want to avoid the IU Miami matchup. So. <laughs> Just have somebody else beat Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, hey, there's no shame in that. Alex, switching to Purdue uh, for just a second. I know we talked a ton about Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, what's the future for Zach Eady? I mean, obviously, if he comes back for another year, then I mean that that is the answer to that question. But if he doesn't, what do you see, if any, a spot for him in the league or at the next level somewhere? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough with Zach just because I feel like the way the NBA is playing with, with you know, pace and space, yeah. he's going to get put in pick and roll to death like we saw Fairleigh Dickinson do to him. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised that Matt Painter didn't go to a zone with Zach Eady out there to try to avoid as much pick and roll as they put him in. And I think Zach Eady, while he is a force down low, uh, I don't know if he'll be able to be that much of a force in the NBA just because of the pace and space. I think – the best thing for Zach Eady is probably to go back to Purdue for one more year, in my personal opinion, because you're never going to be able to, like, have the glory days of college ever again. So just enjoy because he comes back, they've got a legit chance to be top of the Big Ten once again. So I, I think it makes sense for, for him to go back and then see if that helps in a weaker draft class in 2024 because if he gets drafted, it's probably going to be in the 45 to 60 range. Uh, 45 is probably being kind. So I, I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of teams just ready to, you know, knock down the door to bring Edie in, no matter how big he is. It's just the NBA doesn't really play that way anymore. He doesn't really have an outside shot. So, uh, you know, I just think maybe one more year at Purdue, if they go on a big run, then that could increase his draft stock as well. And maybe he could become a little bit more versatile than just this big guy down low that's got a pretty good touch around the rim. Well, what surprised you more? Uh, an NBA team rolls the dice on Zach Eady and it pans out, or Jalen Hood Shafino returns for one more year? I can't believe you. <laughs> one of the more surprised probably than Zach Eady. Uh, yeah. I mean, personally for me, I think Hood Shafino had a really awesome game against Purdue, scoring 35. And then oh, yeah. I, felt like, I felt like after that, though, I mean, he played okay, but he didn't play great after that big game. And I just wonder, like, there's been some talk about him being a lottery-level player in this draft, which I can see that because he's got a lot of potential. Me too. Me too. No question. I, I think he's a sure I just, bet. Yeah, I just I just wonder if he came back one more year at Indiana, yeah. could that elevate him into the top five for next year's wow. draft class? I think I think five to eight maybe because we've heard how weak this 2024 yeah, so class is. Eddie like. mentioned that earlier. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I believe that that could happen. Now, with the NIL, I'm getting money. Maybe that doesn't entice him to come back, but – I think NBA guaranteed money, it's going to be hard to turn that down. I right. mean, it's, uh, I compared it yesterday on our podcast that we did talking about uh, Jalen Vichipino and why I would be interested in him coming back for another year to Romeo Lankford's situation because Romeo got drafted to Boston, didn't really get on the floor very much. Now he got traded to San Antonio last year, and he's hardly seen the floor there now. And who knows what's going to happen with his NBA career. So I just feel like uh, they're not the same player, but at the same time, both freshmen, maybe they maybe they came out a little bit too early. I don't know. I just think that sometimes the college experience, it's a little bit devalued, and I think it should be more valued because I think you can learn a lot uh, by playing an extra year in college. This is how we've kind of closed out these conversations seven games from now. Where are the Pacers at? They play in or they close strong and, and, and just miss and they're in the lottery? Or they'll be in the lottery yeah, anyway, I- but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I think they're probably going to have the seventh worst record in the NBA. I don't think that they're going to be able to have a, uh, a worse record than Portland or Orlando and the other uh, four teams above them, Charlotte, Detroit, 
Houston and San Antonio, but I think right there at seven makes a lot of sense for them. And we've seen teams that have had the seventh best odds uh, jump up to number one. That's what happened with the Pelicans when they got Zion. So you just have to cross your fingers and hope the Pacers get lucky. He's Alex Golden of Setting the Pace, making some time for us. Alex, always appreciate your work. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. Thank you all. You can follow Alex on Twitter as well, at AlexGoldenNBA. Again, host of Setting the Pace, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.